Hey, Chris, uh, I'm pretty parched, but I'm in the middle of nowhere. What was that thing people got water from before we had plumbing? Well, what is this thing? It has a bucket and a rope. Well, I, I, I don't think so. People threw some pennies in here, though. Gross. Well, well, well. You know what? I think I'll just DoorDash a Dasani. I don't see what's wrong with getting your water from a well. It's got to be clean, Chrissy. It's got to be clean. <laughs> I'm Sean Hills. <laughs> and I'm Chris Campo. This is Circle Takes. In the late 1950s, a kid from Pacoima with a twinkle in his eye and a song in his heart pursues his dream of becoming a rock and roll star, all while dealing with issues of love, life, and family. This is La Bamba. La Bamba, starring Lou Diamond Phillips, Isai Morales, Rosanna DeSoto, Elizabeth Benya, and Joe Pantaliano. Written and directed by Luis Valdez. Released in 1987. Produced by Taylor Hackford and Bill Borden. You want to jump into gut reactions? We're jumping into gut reactions. Actually, Sean, I think uh, I think I'd definitely like to hear your gut reactions on this one. Um, I think I um, yeah, I think this is definitely going to be led more by you, um, but more so out of like my interest of uh, just this is this is kind of a first for me. This is this is a real special one. Uh, so this is the first time I saw La Bamba for the podcast. Uh, I had heard about it, knew about it. Didn't uh, you know, I knew kind of about the the backstory a little bit. And uh, so this movie, I love rock and roll. I love movies. I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Okay, well, well, let's interrupt because this is this is what this is. It's a convo. I got to ask you back up when you said you knew about it. What did you know about it? Just movie wise. Well, I know I knew how he dies. Mm -hmm. Spoilers. It's in a plane crash. And I always kind of like heard his name. But I think as a kid, I didn't know that he was Latinx. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up hearing the, the Don McLean song, American Pie, about the day the music died. But it was always from like a Caucasian centric point of view of like, oh, it's because but Buddy Holly died. You know, it wasn't because Richie Valens was on the plane, too. Mm -hmm. You heard it from a caucus point yeah, of view. Yeah, from a caucus centric point of view. <laughs> interesting, interesting to, to know this. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm I have to interrupt because I'm this is this is so like cool to hear. Please go on. Yeah, so I'm really glad I could see this. It's just wild. Like he only had like three or four hits on the radio. Mind you, all hits. Yeah, all hits, but had such a huge impact. On rock and roll, uh, on other, you know, Latinx musicians, on musicians from all walks. Um, so I enjoyed it. It's like, it's hard for me these days to separate musician biopics from a lot of the tropes that we hear about. Uh, you've seen the movie Walk Hard, right? Uh, actually, you haven't. That's that. Wait, okay, the Dewey we, Cox story? Yep. Okay, I thought you were I thought that was yeah. that. Now that's a parody on the biopic of Johnny Cash, right? Walk the but line. It's, a, it's kind of a spoof of all music biopics. Okay, well, maybe that's a future episode. But anyway, Jenna, Jenna Fisher's in that one, right? That's the, yes, yeah, okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, it can be hard to like separate 
the tropes from these kind of movies, but this one mm-hmm. felt fresh. It didn't really have a lot of that stuff going on that you, that you hear about. So I enjoyed it. That's my gut reaction. Okay. Um, concentrate more on any, any fringe gut reactions you have while this fire truck goes by. You have about 10 seconds. Fringe gut reactions. We could talk about this more and does it hold up, but, uh, how the Bob character, Bob is Richie Valens brother, how he's portrayed feels not great. And, uh, kind of, kind of, eh, eh, kind of icky from a modern perspective, but, uh, we can get into that more later on. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to speak as far as like what that was going for necessarily. But it, what's kind of funny is how knowing that the family was there on set and approved of the script, um, you know, and, and I got a little surprise for you, unless you've already seen it. Uh, the um, this time around was 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 interesting because <laughs> as much as I've seen the movie is basically the good reaction. As much as I've seen the movie, I haven't. I'm surprised that all the movies that I love, I haven't got to do that much deep research on. I'm almost like pissed at myself, but um. I YouTubed uh, any footage of Bob Morales, his brother, mm-hmm. real life brother. Yeah. And wow. I mean, first of all, Isai Morales has always been a um, a big uh, like hero of mine acting wise. Yeah. Not so much anymore. Um, <laughs> never meet your heroes, as they say. We'll mm. get into that later. Uh, but I, I actually ran into him at, at Walmart in uh, Burbank here back in 2017 in L.A. And I saw him. <laughs> I saw him and I, <laughs> my eyes got big and I was like, <gasps> I did that. And I just said his name. He was like, Isai Morales. <laughs> and he was with some guy. <laughs> he was with some guy in the in the cat food section. And he just looked at me like, hey, hey, man. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm a big fan. And I just told him, I I said, my favorite movie with you is uh, Mi Familia. I just want you to know that. Oh, oh," you know, and I was like trying to chill. I was like, can I get a photo with you? And I I have a picture. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'll send it to you. But um, closing that tangent on Isai, um, Bob. Wow, man. When I saw that footage, uh, I'm just going to send you the clip. Um, This is footage of the real Bob, eh? Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that not only was the casting so good, but Mm -hmm. boy, have you seen what he looks like? Check that out right there. Matter of fact, I mean, yeah, fuck it. Just take a moment, fast forward to the two minute, nine second mark and just watch about 10 seconds of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was watching you and I could hear the cl- the clip you were playing. Um, yep. I don't know about you, but I, I'd never seen what he, what the real one looked like. And uh, just, you know, just a resemblance wise, Isai Morales, like in the movie looks just like him in that clip. Yeah. The movie takes place in the fifties. That clip is from 1987 or 86. Yep. And he, and, and that's when Isai Morales was in the movie and, and he kind of looks more like him at the now of back then which is uh which is wild yeah well i think you really got to thank the the hair and makeup people because isai morales in this movie 
doesn't really look like Isai Morales. So I think that's a big part of it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maybe it's the mustache. He doesn't, I don't know, but he's had mustaches before, but something about him just looks different to me. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, so to finish up my gut reactions, uh, I wrote down uh, pain, Bob's journey. And then I wrote, it's hard to rewatch it sometimes. Uh, and then I wrote IDK, which is short speak for, I don't know. Um, meaning like, so why is it hard to watch? Uh, it makes me cry a lot. It makes everyone cry. I don't know about you, but it makes a lot of people I know cry who've seen it. And I watched it last night. Um, I almost didn't watch it because I wanted to try to test myself at how good I could talk about this movie without watching it because I've seen mm. it so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to watch it with my brother. My mom yeah. introduced it to us back in the nineties, you know, it was released in 87. So we, we saw it as soon as we could afford to rent it on VHS and, um, saw it. I want to say we saw it in like 90 or 91 or something. And, you know, me and my brother, we like, we love watching movies, but I guess it also sort of resonates because even at the time when we were little, you know, I have a brother and yeah. it had, it talks about that. Granted they're they're they were like half brothers, I think, but, um, I just, I knew is <laughs> to answer your question. It's hard to rewatch it sometimes because I, I know I'm going to cry. Um, and it's almost, that's almost like the best part about it because, you know, you just, I don't know, you, you it's cathartic sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I just, this time around, I was able to get a bit more sentimental with, uh, Isai's pr- performance and his simultaneous like resentment and love for his brother. He never left, you know, in every scene that he's just kind of in, even in the, in the multiple takes, he's just there, you know, and that, that line, like 60 takes, I didn't hear a difference in any one of them, man, (laughs) you know? And like, he's there like at the parties, even if he's drunk, he's just always there and he loves his brother. And I don't think he ever hated him. I just think that, uh, I think the line that speaks the truest to, to Bob's characters when he's arguing with his mom and Rosie mm-hmm. behind the door. And he says, what about me? You know, and that's, yeah. What about Bob? Yeah. That that's, I think a lot of us can sort of, you have a lot of siblings, you know, um, yeah. I have one Tons brother. Of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, what about me line? Uh, he, you know, he's like, it's always about Richie and, and the filmmakers kind of, there was a bit of manipulation on the, on the editing and the lines too. Like even at the, at the very end when, when Richie buys his mom, the house and he hugs her and then you're not even, the camera's not on them anymore. And it's, it's back on Bob. And she goes, <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost on purpose. She, you just hear the line off screen. Oh, Richie, you're the best. You know, it's like, damn, <laughs> just like rubbing it in there for him. So uh, yeah, that, that's that's the answer to your question. It, it's just it hard. It's hard because it it's hard, it hurts, and the movie is like such a tearjerker. And yeah. I mean, I was John. I was tearing up earlier in the movie because I knew I was going to cry at the very last scene. Like I just knew I was, and I didn't, I didn't want to. It was, was going to happen. It was hard, man. So there you go. How many times would you say you've seen this? Uh, that's a good question. Um, probably, you know. It's funny, kind of like a little princess when we when we did that one. Yeah. The amount of rewatches on this one has decreased over the last, I'd say, 10 years. Definitely over the last 10 years. I'd say 
I'd say I maybe have seen this one other time in the last 10 years. But before that, you know, we put it on all the time. We had the tape. Mm-hmm. We never had mm-hmm. the DVD, but we had the tape. And um, may- maybe I've seen this, I'd say 10 or less, actually. But the reason why, and I don't think I mentioned this on The Little Princess, but the reason why is the same of what I just said, the the tears. Like, I sometimes I don't want to cry, you know? And, and I know that I'm going to on this one, but... Um, uh, it, it, I'll tell you what, last night, watching it again last night made me want to begin more rewatches of it going forward. It's just so, uh, and it's, it's very big in, in Latino culture, like in just our community, like almost everyone around my age, like they, they just, they know it. And they always say the same line though. They always go, Richie, you know, which oh, the last they, line of the movie. Yeah. They make it simultaneously like funny, not making fun of it, but just sort of like identifying with it to be like, yeah, I know that one. But then that's also, it's like, as soon as the, the smile comes up, it goes right back down because they're like, Oh, that was so sad. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, Oh, thanks for the, um, thanks for the, uh, voodoo high quality version. That was another gut reaction to taking emotion out of it completely was, was, was like, wow, it's nice to watch it in a very high quality. Yeah. Um, Oh, funny story. Actually, I almost did rewatch this about a, a year ago in, um, wine country. I was on a trip uh, with a good friend and we, we were going to w- uh, watch it and we put it on and then we we got tired. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't start it. It was like a long day. So it's nice that, the, you know, to kind of like close the circle on that inside of a year. Um, I'm glad that you wanted to put this one up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, any more gut reactions on you or you mentioned that this, you know, this movie of course is big in the, the Latinx community. Is it, is it like up there with Selena? Like what, what are, what are some of the other big movies in the canon of of latinx american cinema that's a good question and can you tell like i'm a little just sad on this like this one is hard man this movie is kind of hard to like discuss i I almost feel like i'm gonna tear up i need to take some of this yeah we can take we can take breaks i'll uh i'll postmates you a box of tissues (laughs) let me get on that Okay, okay, let me answer the question. Um, up there with Selena, I don't know. This is interesting. I have to come at it from my experience. You know, you know, born in '85, and this was '87. Didn't see it till about '91, '92, probably. Yeah. Um, but then Selena came out in '85, and Richie was around in the '50s. You know, so yep. it's it's more so in just films. You know, like Latino films. Um, kind of had their own little um they were sort of like adjacent to what we reviewed on another cast about hood films or, or what right was known or like black exploitation yeah exactly but the hood films of the 90s you know like right. uh, like friday and dead presidents and uh, boys in the hood and house party and just all mm-hmm. those that you know all that stuff you know there was there was like so the the let let I guess Latino version of the hood films or Latino films of the time, it was difficult because it was a hard time for representation. There wasn't yeah. a, it was there was a lot of recycling of the same people. I mean, some people can argue it when we get into white casting or non-white casting. I mean, people say that Lou Diamond Phillips is a Filipino. I, I don't know what the exact. I don't know exactly what he is, but I also kind of don't care um, more, more so giving it a pass and I'll allow it. Uh, yeah. And, 
and even same for um Isai Morales. Like he I think he's Puerto Rican, he's not Mexican. But my thing is this like I, I give some uh, support to I guess pure casting. Sure. But I, I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna back that up to the max because if we get into that and we start making okay, well only a doctor can play a doctor. I'm out. There's no movie there, you know? And I think if there is some exploration into the why, when you, when you do your casting, then yeah. you can, um, you can sort of like take a risk as a creator. Uh, yeah. so I'll, I'll say that, uh, but, but, uh, going back to the, to the point. So there was Mi Vida Loca was, was one from the eighties. These are just the ones I've heard of and remember. I seen that one, only seen that one once. Actually, hmm. there was American me, which was kind of an epic. And then simultaneously there was blood in blood out, which is a classic. We're, we're going to have to do that one. That's also an epic. That's like a three hour movie directed wow. by Taylor Hackford, who was a producer on this. Yep. And, um, he also did, um, fuck, it's, it's escaping me right now. Oh, he did Ray, uh, 2004's Ray, um, Oscar winning yep. performance by Jamie Foxx. Raise another one we should do that. That's that one makes me cry hardcore. Um, but there was that. And then there was um, there was like little small cuts like um, Born in East L.A. I think I got you to watch that. We, we saw that one together, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> there were a couple like Cheech and Chong movies in the 80s, early 90s, right? Yeah, I don't lump those in because those are those are I mean, they, they're stoner flicks and they I tried watching those. I can't watch all of them. They're not unfortunate. Like I like those guys and they're funny and all, but the movies are kind of slow yeah. and a little boring. There's only like two of them that are kind of funny. Um, and then there's like the use of um, Latino characters as just sort of like I don't want to say ornaments, but just kind of like. Um, I don't know. Like you have your typical essay, you know, like in uh, Friday yeah. stereotypes. And, yeah. Yeah. There you go. There was, you know, there was that. So we, I guess we had like a, like, Hey, we made an appearance sort of, sort of representation thing. But yeah, this one, I, I think the answer to your question might be no, because it just, I don't know when it comes up in those conversations, it's not an immediate, it's more like a seventh movie listed, you know? Interesting. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I think we have to let the jury decide on that one. Um, it's tough. It's tough because it doesn't it's not completely about the Latino experience. It, it sure. addresses it and recognizes it in a good way. I like the, you know, the beginning and and the uh, you kind of discussing and being transparent about his like he didn't speak Spanish and his Mexican roots and, and even the trip to Mexico. But even how he discovered La Bamba from what I did in the research for Weird History was not accurate. He didn't see it in a brothel. He, he had just heard about it. Um, yeah. but I'll, I'll stop. I can see you saying like, all right, we're, we're getting out of order here. <laughs> no. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. We can go into to weird history for that, but, uh, maybe we should, uh, run down our shot list. Let the yes. folks, let the folks know what our shots are. <laughs> go for it, Sean. All right. We've got our circle take best quote. Does it hold up? Weird history. How would you reboot this? What would make this better? Who used to be a theater actor? Nostalgia factor and non-white casting. Then we'll finish up with our corners and questionable questions. All right. Uh, uh, I kind of like the interview style of this whole thing. Let's hit me with your circle take, Sean. I, I have a feeling you don't have just one circle take. I, I, I think I feel like you have multiple on this one. Or at least I two. A, I have a couple. All right. uh, obviously, the well, 
game. <laughs> okay. But, you know, everyone everyone knows that one, I guess. I really like it's like the final scene in person for Richie and Bob at the Christmas party mm-hmm. where they they kind of get uh, Richie goes over to Bob's guest house. I guess Bob is like living out of the guest house and kind of confronts him, takes his beer away. And they kind of like get into it about all the resentment that Bob has had and, and everything. It's just a powerful scene. There's a lot of uh, raw emotion. I don't know. It just kind of got me as, you know, as someone who has siblings, as someone who has kind of like felt some of these things before, like, I, oh, why do they get this? Why do they get to do this? Why? Why are they yeah. so lucky to do, blah, you know, it just happens. I like that you know that uh, it's kind of, you know, from a, from one person with a brother to another person with brothers, you know. Yeah, this I, I just I'm glad that you know that I, I would almost guarantee that you know that I you probably fought with one of your brothers. I, sure. I did. I did. <laughs> you know, uh, not proud of it, but I didn't get it didn't get that violent. But, uh, you know, it, it was a wrestling around here. Yeah. There. If they were on camera, they'd probably look pretty pathetic. Those fights <laughs> probably just little slap fights or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's wild, though. You know, the lines too were very self-serving. Like when um, the mom at one point in the kitchen was like, don't you know that you're your brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. Something like that. That was, uh, you know, just learning about the dynamic of brother, brotherhood, brothership, <laughs> uh, being a brother, like the, it's, I don't know, no one. Brotherliness. Yeah. Brotherliness. No one ever really like sat down and explained to me, okay, you are a brother to someone. You need to act this way. These are the rules of being a brother. Um, and this, this movie illustrated the relationship. So I guess balanced. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an American story of, you know, coming out of poverty and finding success Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be jealousy and resentment and, and people misunderstanding what's going on. And yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of, it just kind of hit me that scene. I like, you know, I will say that I like, like, I like that the racist stuff was not so heavy handed, um, meaning and that that goes to the to the uh, filmmaker, too, for not like being so on the nose necessarily like the the for example, the Donna's father, um, you know, the closest he comes to, to to addressing race is like, what is he Italian or something? Yeah. And then later there's the clip of the door opening. And he goes, blah, 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 jungle music, you know? Yeah. And you just kind of can tell. And I, I like that sort of I like that style of filmmaking where you have to make the. Uh, assumption as the yeah. viewer you fill in the it, gap you know you know what he's thinking exactly we don't, we don't need was, to hear those those hurtful slurs right right because right. this movie and, isn't here to like just cause more trauma for people right yeah and again this is 87 yeah you know um so also even the industrial like racism too or industry racism from like you know sorry <laughs> babo <laughs> uh pentaliano says you know I forgot how he intros the scene, but he goes, uh, he says, you're Richie Valens now, you know, and Bob's like, Valens, well, that was our father's name, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're both just kind of look at each other and they look at him and he goes, Richie, trust me on this one. Um, yeah, there's a little, uh, there's a little microaggressions. There's like <laughs> the moment that, that Joey Pants comes and first meets with the family, he like comes to the backyard and Richie's playing guitar. And then he just starts like petting the hair of one of the girls. I'm like, would, would you do this to a white child? I don't know. It's I weird. I do not remember it's very that. very weird. <laughs> I don't remember that one bit. 
Ah, oh, that's interesting. It's like you just met these people. You haven't even told them, you know, your spiel yet about recording contract or whatever. And he just like starts petting one of the girl's heads. It's just weird. I don't remember that. I didn't see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. The, then there's the, there's uh what are the other things that happen in there? Oh, they'll, they'll come to us. Okay. So yeah, but what's your circle take? My circle takes, I got, I got so many, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. Um, yeah. Give me, give me the top, top two so or three. My circle takes, uh, m- more so come from my experience watching it with my brother. Cause almost every time, I, I rewatched this. It was with my brother mm-hmm. and he used to love, uh, he used to laugh at so many little scenes. So I don't know if you remember Bob feeding the rabbit, uh, a little pe- a little piece of wheat or something. And he was dipping it in the liquor. Do you remember no, that? I do not remember what? that. Come on, man. It was great. My brother I don't even loved- remember a rabbit. Where was the rabbit in the start of the movie? It was kind of in the middle beginning. There was a he's he's drinking and they're talking about. Uh, oh, it was right before that pretty horrible line, actually. But it but I mean, we can't knock the line for not being true, though. He says, I almost have to rape her just to have sex with her. Right before that, he's feeding a rabbit in a cage, um, kind of, I don't know what you call that, like a, like a long strand of wheat. And he, he oh, was yeah, drinking that line, a, by the way, is strike one on does it hold up for me? <laughs> well, I don't know, though. Is it? Uh, we'll, we'll go. We'll go to that line in a minute. It's um, not great. Yeah. So he's he's feeding the rabbit the uh, thing. From like so that's just funny. And then when he finds the Woody Woodpecker drawings in the garbage, uh, he grabs the big carrot at the end and he 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 tries to he like taps the other his coworker, the 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 trash guy's butt with this huge, like oversized carrot and he goes, Eat it. <laughs> and my my brother really liked that line, which I thought was funny. I too love the wells. Um, but my other circle take is mainly the um you know, you have your sort of legendary shots that sort of make the movie magic that you probably use in the trailer. Yeah. You probably use as as a main clip. You know, for example, in, um, in you know, Back to the Future, it's the it's the sequence of the DeLorean speeding up. You got this uh, Alan Silve- Silvestri or Conti who did that soundtrack. Silvestri. Yeah. Silvestri. You have his music coming in and then you have the lights on the tire and it's just perfect. You know, the cameras like following the car, you know, like that's everything. Those are the ingredients for magic right there. Yeah. And on, on this one, it's the shot at the show where he premieres La Bamba and you got that camera kind of wide, you get a little medium, you get a, a, a very slight punch in and yep. you get, you get the, the performance Lou Diamond Phillips just kind of coming up to the mic like that. I know you can see me mm-hmm. and, uh, and he goes, he just gets right into it and it's it's punched up it's perfect and that and that's the shot that they use when they talk about this movie in in shows like they'll play a clip and it's always that clip i mean that could could be the the song that's the name of the movie you know it just makes sense yeah but it's it was nice watching that in in like hd that was really cool like we're we're really high quality hd on a big 55 inch television okay i'm i'm kind of asking this uh tongue in cheek, but how does it feel to know that, you know, more Spanish than Richie Valens knew? 
Um, I think I identify with it hundred percent. I don't, I think that's a fair question because that's actually a big, you know, gripe of mine growing up Mexican American, um, Latino in this country. It's, um, there's a lot of pressure, you know, to quote, and I'll, I'll say it till I die to quote, uh, uh, Selena's father, um, Gregory Nava's movie, Selena, um, it's hard being Mexican American. You got to be more Mexican than the Mexicans, more American than the Americans. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's true. There's been this pressure to like, Oh, you got to speak great Spanish. Otherwise, you know, other Latinos are going to look down on you. Right. And, and at this point I, I, I arrived at a new sort of evolution of my experience. And my opinion is this, you can either support me or you can insult me. Mm. I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm trying and the way that I know that I'm right or I'm I, I'm confident about my choice to kind of push back a little bit because I can I can see my own people sort of like, no, you got to learn that shit. You know, like it was not that I don't want to learn it. Yeah, that's not the case. You know, like that's why I think your question is fair. I know as much as I know and I'm constantly constantly relearning it. I used to say this thing where like, oh, I, I my Spanish gets better every few jobs I have because when I was younger, you know, I worked in fast food. I worked in restaurants. I worked in, um, you know, companies where we had, you know, the, the, <laughs> how people like to sort of like sum it all up. Oh, oh, there's a bunch of Mexicans working there, even though they're Latinos from all over the world, not, not just the Mexicans, but right. yeah, to be funny and sum it up. Yeah. Whenever I was working around a bunch of my people, I would speak Spanish more often. And, um, and my thing is just, is the grammar. I think most Spanish speakers who English, not English second language, but like who may have struggled like Richie or who may have been in my position is that our grammar is fucked. And it's fucked because I've, I realized, I realized what's wrong with my Spanish. You know, mm. like people say, you got to speak it a little funny. It's because I'm translating in my head, direct English. Right. So when I, when I know what I want to say to my cousin or my, or whoever, I'm saying it in English and then I'm doing direct translation in Spanish, which grammatically doesn't always work. Right. Kind of like using Google Translate. It's always like, this seems wonky. This doesn't seem like it yeah. flows. Yeah. Shout out to our classmate, Diego Sardi, who uh, um, used to, uh, he told me uh, when he went back to Uruguay that he, one of the things he took away from America, from our speak was at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Sean, mm. you know, and he told me, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm talking with my friends and I say, you know, pues al fin del día, al fin del día. and they would stop me. And it was funny hearing this story. They would stop him and be like, what are you saying? Like, at the end of the day. And he was telling me, he's like, because it doesn't trend. It does. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And they didn't get it. But I was like, hell yeah, Diego and Diego Spanish is perfect. You know? So. Right. But, but the way that I knew that I was right to finish my thought is my family. When we used to go to Mexico and, and see my cousins um, in the 90s and 2000s, uh, they don't care. They didn't judge me like that. They corrected me. They, they helped me. They didn't make fun of me. Yeah. And that is... That is the part that I think matters the most because I'm not going to sit there and, you know, unless I have a relationship in a friendship way with like I used to fuck with Diego and, you know, make fun of his English. But we had that. I wasn't going to do it like I was going to make fun of him from the crowd, you know, or or as as a stranger. Right. Um, so anyway, I think that's a fair question, Sean. And and it speaks to what Richie, I think, went through and and even some of the research that I read about how he, at one point someone said it in in 
interviews or research on him that he didn't even know what he was saying, you know, and I was like, I could believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where, where did that come from? Oh, the circle takes, right? So circle yeah, takes. Circle so, takes. So, so the rabbit scene, the eat it scene with the carrot, the um the quintessential moment of the La Bamba premiere. Yep. And then of course, of course, the um the harrowing, you know, Bob on the bridge yelling Richie into the sky. If like if your tears didn't come out then, you know, you I don't know, you need to get your eyes checked or something. Yep. Cause that was it, it, and then with that music too, with that song, what song is that that they use in the background? That's like a classic song. Uh yeah, with the sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny on um when uh Bob's on the bridge uh doing, you know, yelling out Richie, that's uh that's of course the other uh, circle take. Um, but you know, obviously as we discuss, we just discover so much. Um, I, I, I gotta tell you another, I saw a lot of like things that I, I don't want to say they're my, in my questionable questions for you, but as a director, I'm curious as just, I'll save that. I'll save that. Sure. Um, sure. I'll save that. So, okay. Uh, so I think that's all for my circle. I mean, God, this whole movie is a damn circle take, man. It's it's shot very beautifully. There's the close-ups, like ECUs on on them when he's talking to Donna, and um, um, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm, I'm done with circle takes. You need to okay. stop me. I'll stop you. Best quote. I'll give some setup to this. Rosie is talking to Richie about Bob. And she says, he doesn't spend much time at home, but you do. And Richie replies, well, yeah, I'm me. And I really <laughs> like that line for some reason. <laughs> okay. Hey, well, yeah, hey, that's, I'm me. <laughs> that's interesting. I think our, our, our both our best quotes are going to be kind of random and bizarre. Um, um, I, had, I had one other. I love it when you have multiple. You seem to only have one. Well, it is called best quote, not best quote. So, you know, I try to be good. Uh, be bad. Be best, Melania. To live <laughs> is to sleep. Hell to yeah. die is to awaken. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he, the healer, Tata, in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good one. I, I like that a lot, too. Yeah. So I back you up on that. Um, what you got? I, I have... Um, so when when uh <laughs> what's the name of the guy who sings Charlena? <laughs> Charlena, don't you know that I can uh, Rudy Castro. <laughs> yeah, horrible Rudy. singer. Yeah. Horrible guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes up and he goes, uh he goes, I decide what's best for Los Dinos. Um, so is it, you you coming or what? <laughs> and then they all go with him and uh, Richie says, Guess it's what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think he said that, right? He guess does it's say what? That. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to come yeah. with me or what? And yeah. so, guess it's what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then a fabulous performance by Lou Diamond. This is his first role. Um, and then eat it. I said that as the shot, but it's like when Bob is, Bob's yelling at him with the carrot at the guy and he's trying to shove the carrot up his ass and he goes, eat it. See, I misinterpreted that. I remember that scene and I liked it, but I thought he was telling like the giant garbage truck to eat the carrot. Like he's feeding the, the, the carrot to the 
because they're throwing stuff in the back of the garbage truck. I never, yeah. I didn't interpret it as he's trying to shove it up the guy's ass. <laughs> look, look at the scene again. Yeah. I think you might have it up. And he, he takes the carrot. You bear, it's kind of a quick one. And he, because the carrot's pointed, you know, pointy and he hits the guy's butt. And that's why the guy gets mad at him. And he, he's like, what are you doing? You know, I thought the and guy was mad because he's digging around in the trash instead of doing his job. He is, but, uh, but then that happens. You're right. He is going for the guy. He's just kind of poking him. <laughs> you know, you gotta love, uh, Eastside's energy in the role though, man. Like that's, that's something right there. Um, yeah, for sure. So yeah, eat it. I, I think, I think that's it for, for quotes. Um, you know, Bobo, that's kind of funny. You got, um, I forgot when I was doing the rewatch, I forgot that he's, it's almost like he loses his attempt to be authentic to the time when he calls, um, uh, Donna kitten. Uh, cause it doesn't feel natural when he says it the first time. Um, no, her. it creeped me out every time yeah. he did it. I was like, right. Where did you hear yeah. this from? You know, but it would have been, that was, I don't know. Maybe it would have been interesting if he saw his brother like modeling that behavior, like his brother calling women kitten. And then he's like, yeah, this is what you got to do. You know, if it were something mm-hmm. like that, but it just comes out of nowhere. I think it's definitely of the time though. Granted, we weren't around in the fifties, but no, uh, I, I just, but it seems out of place for Richie. And I think it, it might be for two reasons. You know, one, he's supposed to, he's, he can't be flawed. You know, he's not, he's not going to be flawless. He, he's this, um, he's the best character in the film. Obviously we love him. We care about him and all that, but it's, I mean, it's not, you know, he was, he was a person too, you know, he was sure. a young man. It was a very young man. And I think that they were modeling that, you know, in, in the, in the high school times, he was trying to be, um, I guess, you know, American, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. And that was sort of like the style and the, you know, the approach. I, I think I'd heard that in movies before, but the fifties are just a time that, um, we don't know much about. Yeah, strange I. time. Yeah, kitten, kitten, kitten. Uh, so, though I mean, this okay. movie was only made thirty years after it happened. So exactly, exactly. It'd be like but, us making a movie about nineteen ninety two. What did what did what did people call each other back then? I right, right. Babe. But we um, no, they dude and doodad. I don't know. Does, Does it, it hold, hold up? up? Go, Sean. It's your birthday. Uh, it was my birthday recently, but mm-hmm. most I feel like most parts hold up. But then Bob treats Rosie just terribly, and he's kind of given a pass on this. Like he continues to treat her terribly. Uh, we see him like kind of become a good father and quit the drinking, but he still treats Rosie terribly. And we talked about this line earlier. I almost have to rape her just to have sex. Uh, I heard that line when I was watching and I was like, is this supposed to be relatable? Like, are we supposed to be like, yeah, man, you almost have to rape him to have sex. And it's just, I mean, it, it hit me hard because he does rape her in this movie. Like if, if your partner is crying and telling you they don't want to have sex and you continue to force yourself on them, that's rape. So that's why I'm just like, I feel weird about the whole thing. Cause he's given like a redemption arc and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's never given a moment where 
He apologizes to Rosie. He's never mm. given a moment where he says, I need to be a better partner or whatever. I don't know if they're ever married, but he never like owns up that. I think he owns up that he needs to be a better brother to Richie, but he never owns up that he needs to be a better partner to Rosie. Mm. And so yeah, his, for that, his I'm kind of like, has a wall. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, yeah, it's of the time, but it's, it's like hard for me to like relate to him and for me to like feel for him when I know like he, you know, he rapes her in the movie. This is not a great mm. thing for a character to do. And it, he seems to get a pass. So mm-hmm. what about the rest of it? I feel like the rest of it holds up. I mean, there's some things that I'm kind of saving for what would make this better. But mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it, it still kind of feels fresh as a biopic mm. biopic. I don't care how people say biopic. What makes it feel fresh to you? It doesn't like fall into the same tropes, the same patterns. Like usually it's like an artist rises to fame and then they get corrupted in some way. Like they turn to drugs or mm-hmm. You know, they just start having sex with every groupie they meet or, or something like that. And Richie's kind of given the opportunity to do that. His brother takes him to a brothel. But then instead of paying any attention to like the, the booze or the women, he's just like, oh, I want to watch the band. Hey, they're playing La Bamba. This is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah, that, it, it kind of ahead. like because when the scene started, I was like, oh, God, he's going to get like hooked on. I don't know. Phonics. Yeah phonics or heroin or something <laughs> but you know that doesn't happen snake blood it, that doesn't happen so yeah and i mean that goes that goes to just to, to with whatever creative liberties they took in the film because again as we mentioned earlier apparently that that part actually did not happen right um but you know it's hard it it, it is very difficult to take a i can't imagine what it'd be like to do a biopic it, it, i know how i'd approach it though but it, I can see how difficult it would be. You got to choose which stories to tell and all that. But the, you know, with the family being on set, it's, it's interesting. Are you done by the way? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. So does it hold up? Yeah. As a whole, to me, it does. It just, it just, it just does. It's, it's a bit, it's a classic and it's, um, I don't even know if I would say it's a biopic actually. Um, I feel like whatever we have defined as the standards for a biopic biopic, um, are very loose. Well, no, actually they're more stringent these days, but back then I don't think there were too many. Yeah, there weren't that many of them back then. I don't think they knew that they were doing a biopic. They just, they always called it the so-and-so story. You know, there was another, there was a a movie about Buddy Holly that was like the Buddy Holly story. Yeah. Even the, the door is in 94, I think, right? It was 93, 94. Well, yeah, that's why it's like walk hard, the Dewey Cox story. (laughs) Right. Maybe the doors was 92, but anywho, um, I agree with you. It, it, it's, I have some stuff saved for what would make this better. Um, trying to think here. I mean, essentially, yes, it holds up. I'm trying not to do tangents either. Um, sure. This is the first time around where I paid more attention to Bob's character than than um, the movie and just being entertaining. It's like mm-hmm. I actually like, was really paying attention to all his his stuff. And it's uh, it's difficult to say, you know, like what was really going on. So this is just a correlation of like, you know, 
brief research and 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 combined with I guess some weird history in our little because we're we're just going to move into that. Yeah, sure. I don't know. We don't know what was accurate and what was not. We don't know. Um, like if they were there. We assume that if they were there to approve and they approve the script and his mother has a brief appearance in the movie, it's like you guys said this was okay. So you have to acknowledge a bit of um, or you have to respect the acknowledgement of a bit of like, I'm going to be unapologetically authentic about this story and what I'm going to allow you, the filmmaker, to tell. Sure. So with Bob and Rosie, which Rosie, unfortunately, doesn't she just her character just fizzles out completely but i think and i want to present this theory i I was watching another interview with the real bob morales when he was much older because he passed away in 2018 yeah he um they were they interviewed his his wife who was still alive it wasn't rosie yeah but they didn't talk about who it was Mm. and at one point she said and I, i think bob's sister was interviewed saying uh, the real sister was interviewed saying that you know he he wasn't no saint you know he was his life was is completely turned around in real life but he wasn't like he was a piece of work you know and um i think that them choosing to give that slice whether it was real or not of his relationship with rosie because i think bob actually has the real Bob, they interviewed his daughter too. Um, she's on camera somewhere. Um, that's why this question is, does it hold up? Because I realized that at the time rape wasn't taken as seriously, like back to the future basically has, you know, Biff trying to rape her in the car, but that's a movie that, you know, we show children and it's just things that are just kind of glossed over in that era, you know? Yeah, but I think what you lose in not, I guess maybe a question would be like, how would you, how would you tell that? Would you gloss over it further and, and cut out the, like a traumatic um, frame of the scene? Or would you, instead of making it, let's say it's five seconds, would you make it two seconds or would you not include it? And if you not include it, are you being, um, untrue to the story and the characters because then you just make everything pretty. I, well, I, I think, think it wasn't to supposed if, to be. I mean, you have to know if that's what happened or not though. Right. Cause I and can again, see a writer. There are still writers to this day who include rape in their scripts just as like a plot device. So yeah, it's, it's I, a question of whether, whether it's true to the story or not. I don't know. I don't think his line was supposed to be relatable though. When you say it's, is this supposed to be relatable? I don't think that's what they were trying to do. I think they were trying to illustrate just how messed up he was. And he said the word almost. So that adds another gray line there. Um, And you notice her character, you know, she in a odd way, at least stands up for herself, which I liked. And she talks shit about him. His own mom talks shit about him. Um, But she sticks around for because she she has the family values to like be there for Richie to be there for her mother-in-law or I guess unofficial mother-in-law yeah, and they have the and, child um, too yeah and the child um but they don't add enough whatever redemption he goes through later outside of the one with Richie with the family cuz you see at the end he's like I'm just here with my daughter you know it's like oh okay so you stuck around you know well, maybe it's a cut scene I don't know it's just kind of the movie has such a big emphasis on Bob. It's almost, it's almost like Bob is 
is the main character too. So that's, you know, that's why it made me feel a little uneasy. He's kind of this anti-hero figure. Hmm. Oh, I think it's supposed to do that. Hmm. It's supposed to make you feel uneasy. Hmm. Made me, made me feel uneasy. How would you reboot this? I'll take this one. Go ahead. Uh, I wrote down, I might consider it with maybe an alternative take or a Sorkin-esque slice of a day or event to focus on instead of an entire biopic. Notice I said biopic again, not knowing what this was supposed to be. But uh, yeah, you know when, did you see the Aaron Sorkin Jobs movie? I did. Yeah, so he... That's that just takes place over what the one day of the announcement of the new Mac. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the way that I think these kind of movies should be made. Not that there need to be rules. I just prefer because then you don't have to worry about falling into all the tropes. Kind of like Ava DuVernay's Selma movie. It didn't have to tell us the whole story of MLK's life. Oh, so you're saying it does. Yeah. Okay. Right. It just shows us like a moment in their life. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to see everything. Cause by now we probably know everything anyway. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously you lose a little time too, you know, like, Oh, it's great. You covered that one little thing when he bought a Twinkie, but we didn't need to see that. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Just like put a magnifying lens over like a defining moment. Mm-hmm. In an important person's life. Yeah. And to finish off, um, how how would I reboot it? I'd say um, maybe let it revolve around it, which actually this kind of combines what I said of the on alternative take and the Soren esque slice of a day is revolve it around um, only the focus of him discovering or deciding to do La Bamba mm-hmm. and up to the premiere of that, you know, or you could even let it take place on the day of the flight, you know, and make Bob and the mom and, and all the other characters a bit minor, um, just kind of highlight them. Yeah. And that'd be cool. But see, at the si- same time, though, if you think about it, this kid was only 17. I know. You know, <laughs> like, you kind of have enough to work with there. I mean, if you go from age one to 10, he's a kid. I mean, who really wants to know about the kid? kid uh, no, part of exactly. it, you know? Yeah. We don't need to like see him the first time he hears music and he's like, I want to do that. Yeah. I want to spend the rest of my life doing that. Yeah. Cause he could talk like that yeah. <laughs> as a child. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think, um, I think that I would, that that's my answer. I would do it. I would revolve it around like a slice of a day. Uh, what about you? How would you reboot this? One, I love what, what uh, Los Lobos did with the music, but I'd love to get mm-hmm. an actor who can sing, who sings uh, all of the songs. It just feels more raw to me in these kind of movies. And you can tell when someone's like being overdubbed and, mm-hmm. and they're just lip syncing. So I feel like kind of, like a more real raw approach. Uh, I like what you said about, you know, just picking a particular moment. I would rethink, you know, how we frame Bob and, you know, think about how, how he's redeemed or if we let him be redeemed, that kind of thing. But then of course the, the writer director, Luis Valdez said, uh, this doesn't need a reboot. So maybe we don't well, do it. Maybe we, it. <laughs> no, it's, it's coming from the top. So, all right. Yeah, no reboot. Like, yeah. 
I mean, hey, yeah, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> um, I didn't hear that part, so that must have been part of your history. Yeah. Uh, the I I will respectfully disagree with caution on what you said about a, an actor who can sing. While I would like that as well, not a lot of actors are good singers. You know, mm. so, you know, like I would I would have to like give you a major applause if you found one that could do it. But that is hard, man. I don't mind the dubbing personally. Yeah. But how many? I, I mean, we just had uh, Spielberg's West Side, West Side Story come out. And we know that had, you know, a Latinx cast to it. So there's got to there's be one of those young kids in there who could do it, maybe. Hey, I didn't see it, but did they actually have, um, I hear, I think I heard somewhere that it was, it was really well done because they included Afro-Latinos in there. It wasn't just like, it wasn't just white Latinos. Yes. Yeah. Because that was a complaint with In the Heights in, when that came that's out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that's been a thing for a long time period, but, um, it's, it's nice. It's, it's actually, it's kind of funny because when, when you don't do it, it gets complaints when it's done, you don't hear much applause about it, you know, um, yeah. maybe cause people don't want to put Spielberg up there as far as he is already. Well, you, you only hear noise when there's a problem. You hardly exactly. ever, you hardly ever hear noise when something's being done right. So just try to get it done right. And uh, nobody will complain about your shit. Yeah. And people, the noise you will hear is an applause. It's good noise. That was Sean and I applauding. What would make this better? I wrote maybe an extended cut. And then I wrote ish <laughs> meaning uh, like a three hour epic. Well, yeah, actually, seriously, yeah. Like, I, I'd be here for it because there was two Truman Capote movies, right? Mm-hmm. There was two white art movies. There was two Steve Jobs movies, yep. which shout out to the Ashton Kutcher one. If anyone's seen that one, that is a good fucking take if you ask me and he mm. did great in there. Um, you should watch that one, man. That one's good. Josh Gad is in it. Um, looks like there's always sort of like two of all of these. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I'll, again, I'll not again, but I'll respectfully disagree with Luis Valdez and I wouldn't mind seeing someone else's take, even doing the same thing, you know, like revolving around the same shit. Exactly. I just want to see like another take on it, another performance. Sure. I don't, I don't mind. I mean, we get it every, what, seven to 10 years with Batman and Superman and all the heroes, right? Yeah, that's true. Get a, get a new actor doing it. I mean, it's just this, but at the same time, I, I agree with him and I defend him because there's not, there's some things you can't touch, you know, our, our friend and, uh, and me were talking the other day about, I was like, you know, I told him, I said, you know, we might be around for the actual production of a reboot, a sequel, um, of, uh, or a remake of back to the future. You know, and I was like, what would you do? Like, how would you do that? Yep. You know, and at the end, we kind of said, there's just some things you don't touch, you know, exactly. <laughs> and and um, and this one is, uh, you know, shout out to Bob Gale and Zemeckis on that. They have in their contract that that cannot have a sequel, a remake or a reboot until both of them are dead. Yes. Until both of them are dead. And I hope that, or, or they approve. Yeah. And I hope that we have some kind of like uh cyborg technology come out before they die. So we can just keep them alive and never have to reboot it. 
Thank you. You're supposed to clap with me. I thought we had a thing. There it is. Um, yeah. So what would make this better? I think, I think an extended cut, if you ask me, um, and we're talking about just as a film. Um, I think, I think, yeah, maybe go ahead. I might, I might get off, uh, get on your energy. What would make this better, Sean? I think there's too much plain stuff, too much foreshadowing. Mm. Like I knew already before I saw the movie that he dies in a plane crash. But if you came into the movie fresh and you didn't know that, I feel like, you know, he's dying in a plane by like the third time he has a plane nightmare. So just I got a question. So just like uh, trim it down a little bit. Got a question for you. What do you got off of that? And slash your first experience watching this, knowing that were you still surprised or taken aback or emotionally reactive to how the film did the crash death scene that basically the end. Yeah. Even though you knew did it still like have an impact on you? It had an impact, but I feel like it would have had more of an impact. There's some things you just got to trust your audience on. And like, you just hear about planes so much and it's just like, we get it, you know? Wait, so you, so you would have just taken out the little dream sequences. Maybe not all of them. Maybe one, maybe there's what one at the three beginning. or four nightmare sequences, something like that. Yeah, I can't. But I like I like how he shot him. Very not sepia, but like very. Um, yeah, it's maybe on like grainy. eight millimeter or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how they I shot like him. That. I just you know take out one of them, and then he has like a couple people ask him about planes. Uh, I'll give you that. I'll take. I'll give you one of them to take out. But go on. Then there's a couple like yeah dialogue exchanges where people Donna's asking him about planes. I think uh, Bobo's asking him about planes. Just condense it into like the one time Bobo asks him about a plane. He says like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, my best friend died and I wasn't there." Like just like let us know. Mm-hmm. I I do like it a little bit that when you see the nightmares for the first time, you don't know that that's his plane crashing or not. Cause I, I didn't know enough to know that like his plane crash happened at night. So I didn't know if he was like having a premonition. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Didn't his plane actually crash into a high school? Is that true? I don't, not that I know of. I don't know. I'll I'll double check that. Go on. But yeah, I did kind of like that. At first you think, Oh, this is his plane crash that he's having a dream about. But then it's revealed that that was the plane crash where his his friend on the playground died. So I get I give it some points for that about that kind of reversal, that reversal of expectations. I also just think I felt like Donna in this movie was written in just kind of a boring way. So I'd like to see like more agency from Donna. I'd like to know like what does she want? What are her dreams? Even like when Richie dies, like we have these big moments from Rosie reacting, from Bob reacting, from his mom. And then with Donna, who's who's supposed to be like the love of his life, there's only like a short shot of her sobbing and there's no there's nothing that comes out of it. <laughs> and I wish well, she I would have <laughs> like a moment where she defends Richie against her dad. So this is like mm. stuff I would put into your three hour cut. I don't think she did. <laughs> I saw an interview with the real Donna. Yeah. Um, 
to, to go off of what you said about how she found out that is how she found out. She said she was in school and someone told her Richie's Richie's died. Yeah. But she and, could have had uh, a bigger reaction. She could have had like a moment where she that, breaks I think down. That, I think she said it matched the, the actual Donna said that it matched. It matched. Yeah, did but you, see it? you know, that's not just all there is. You wanted uh like an ECU of her eyeball tearing up no like how does she react and how do her friends like rush to her in the same way that you know richie's mom is like wailing and and bob rushes to her like you know what what are more of the circumstances otherwise it's just like a 10 second shot like this is supposed to be his love interest and and we hardly know anything about her they but they hardly know anything about each other they're only 17 like i don't think there was much to That's work what i'm with saying is she's just an afterthought so it's like i don't know i don't know what to do with her in this movie yeah and you know between they said he he died within seven or eight months of his music career yep so that and he was already leaving high school to go record with Bobo. Yep. And she was already being shielded by her father on this relationship. So how much did how much opportunity did they even really have to to see each other with him being on the road and recording and the limits and things like that? Yeah, but you, I, you I can't could have imagine. written something extra, them like sneaking off in the night or or something. They did go to a drive-in, didn't they? There was a drive-in scene. They were making out of the drive-in. Yeah. Yeah. And then he picks her up from school and stuff. Um, I had a question for you. You said something. Hang on, hang on. Donna, let me ask you this. Yeah. I don't know if the... I think we're done with what would make this better. No, right? or we got we one more thing. Okay. Well, let me ask you this, though. You imagine... I mean, <laughs> to this day, the real Donna, she has a fucking song written about her. Yep. I mean, do you imagine what it'd feel like to be that, to like, to at least always have that from this person that you had this relationship with? You can play that song for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you, what do you think of that? Like, she has a song written about her. What if a girl wrote a song about you? Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta feel very flattering. And I like the scene where they showed her watching the TV. So the phone booth thing happened. Yep. And she said the real Donna said that that happened, but like, I don't know, man. I just, I just, not that I mean, the worst thing is what if someone writes a song about you and you don't like it? Well, and you just got to act like you like it for the rest of your life. I don't think she would have, I don't think she would have <laughs> stuck around for someone to write a song about her. Unless you're Taylor Swift writing songs about uh, the dudes, you know, uh, about the Jake Gyllenhaals of the world and the, Whoever else she did. What uh what's your other thing on what would make this better? Just a small thing. There's there's a moment where when Babo recruits Richie to record for the first time, he makes him basically tells him, like, I only want to record you. I don't want to record your band. And you have to choose between like them or me, basically, type of thing. And Richie, of course, says, I choose family and records. But I wish there had been like a moment where the bandmates are expressing their frustration, like some kind of uh, consequences that come out of this because the, the bandmates just disappear and I'm sure they didn't feel great about this. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you that. I'm, I'm going to be maybe the, not the devil's advocate here, but the, uh, 
Uh, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I, I think, you know, what if, I mean, they were, they were 17 years old and he didn't, he asked him, he didn't ask him, um, he didn't give him like that line in the sand per se. He asked him, the, the question was, what's more important? Yeah. Your buddies or your music. Yep. And then Richie says, my family. Yeah. And I think that that was his moral compass because I mean, the whole movie was about him also wanting to, you know, uh, and he, even though with, with Bob's problems, he um, still like, even when, when Bob got the art table, you know, or when um, the mom was thinking of all the ideas, he's like, no, anyone but Bob, you need to be there for Rosie. You know, he was always like trying to, want to make his brother better and, and want to make his mom's life better yep. and their life and Donna's life better. Richie had this incredible, like, you know, not, not just the gift, but this, you know, this, this quality about him as a person, you know, to want to uplift those around him. Well, so that's what, that's it, what I'm saying is like, I want to show more of those cracks, those moments of humanity towards the band yeah. towards the band. Well, and yeah, just that. those cracks in his, cause he's portrayed as like an angel, the whole movie, which is like, yeah, I get it. But like he did like make a choice to ostracize his bandmates. And I'd like to see like what the repercussions of that were. I don't, I don't think he did that, Sean. I think it was Rudy and Charlena. <laughs> Was that what the guy's name? Rudy. But then it became yeah. their band and it was Richie's band, you know? So it must have hurt those guys. I'm sure they're still like, uh, I could have had all these, you know, if they're still alive, there might be some resentment. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you I that disagree. island, but I don't, I don't think so. I, uh, I think they were happy for him. I would say. But it would be nice to see like what did happen to them. I mean, maybe they that was probably maybe that was the last song they played. What if that what if that concert they did at the Legion Hall was the only concert they had? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. They didn't even say the name of his band. 2004 interview for <sighs> what? Guess what? What? I have to. Oh, oh, I have a interview. We were just a bunch of kids. Today lives quietly retired and just beyond a covered bridge in a tree-lined Waterford condominium complex, but in his youth, he jammed loudly with Richie Valens. He's a police officer. Dave Toretto was a teenager when he lived in California and played in a band with Richie Valens for about a year. So that's a year. That's more than one show, you know? Yeah. That's kind of like if a a record label guy came up to Paul McCartney and said, hey, I want to record you. I want to give you a contract. But you you got to get rid of these other guys. The band played in halls for dances. Reports that it was an all Mexican band are all wrong. He said, I'm Italian. There were a couple Japanese guys in there too. Toretta said he can't take credit for any of Valens' songs. Valens wrote them all himself and Silhouettes just played them. He said Valens wrote Donna while he was in the band. Valens also wrote La Bamba after he heard a version of it played by a mariachi band in Mexico. Valens heard the mariachi band and then Silhouettes went on a road trip into Mexico. There you go. There's the other take right there. See, that's interesting. That's a movie. That's a movie right there. The road trip. Yeah. Oh, but Toretta didn't make it to Mexico with the teenage band. My parents wouldn't let me go. <laughs> he remembered. Was. was the movie accurate? No, Toretta said. Yeah. I don't have a copy of the movie and I don't want it because it's not based on true fact. Hey, there you go. Uh, in the movie, they show him chewing gum and blowing bubbles. They will show him wearing white socks. He didn't do either one. They were trying to portray him as a kid. Huh. Yeah. 
you know, this movie, La Bamba, did have at least one Asian-American bandmate that I saw. So I, I saw this with Michelle last night, actually. And um, that's the first thing she said. Like, was that guy Asian? So I was like, I was like yep. Yep. Asian yep, alert. Yeah. I, I know we talk about <laughs> black alert, but <laughs> shout out to Marcus. There are, there are um, alerts for everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Every time I watch a movie, uh, I say white alert. Uh, every point time. six seconds uh, into the movie. <laughs> um, okay, so that was your last thing on what would make this better. Yeah, I just wanted to know more about the band dynamics because that would be devastating to me to be left behind. So maybe, maybe that's like you said, we we make the movie about call it the silhouettes, and then just mm-hmm. make it about their road trips and and their touring and whatnot. You got to admire how like dedicated they were in the movie too. I mean, like Richie was so excited to get into it and he had the jacket and he has a little amp. Remember when Rudy's like, what's that? Looks like you found it in, in someone's trash. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, well, it's mine now. Exactly. And what'd you say? And it doesn't matter or like whatever. Something, something like, like that. that. But yeah. Yeah. That was good. That was good. You saw Rudy like looking at him like, fuck, this guy can play. I know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> weird history. Weird history. So something I saw in the weird, I mean, there's a lot of good weird history that we've already said quite a bit of it, mm-hmm. but um, from just from, from more like a film point of view, I, I, I didn't know that the original when originally released the second half of the credits said uh, that it was originally shown in silence. Uh, and then the DVD ever from the DVD and broadcast forward broadcasts forward. It had the scroll with come on, let's go playing in the background. Um, that was interesting to me. And I think it would have been a bit more, more poignant with the silence. Yeah. Um, you mean the credits were that. shown in silence, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. At first, I thought you meant yeah. the whole movie. I was like, how does that work? <laughs> Come on, man. No, bro. Um, yeah. Silent um, film in 1987 would have been a bold move. <laughs> especially especially one about music. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Luis Valdez. Uh, God damn it. <sighs> Wake up. Luis Valdez. Um, I, he doesn't have much his career just kind of stalls at 94 and i don't think he's passed away i think he's still around no, he's still around what was, was funny is i saw his movies like i saw the cisco kid um he did a i don't know what cbs summer playhouse is but he did a zoot suit which was also uh that was a classic it's uh, edward james yeah. almost back in the day 81 done a lot of theater yeah but yeah louis felt that and he was pretty young when this um well, yeah, young-ish when he when he did this movie. But I mean, what a movie and what a um, I don't want to say an attempt because I think it was a success, but sure. just what a piece of work. There you go. Well, yeah, I saw that uh, Valdez is considered the father of Chicano film and theater. Uh, that's 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 a pretty heavy title. Yeah. I, where'd you see that? A couple of places in New York Times because he founded uh, El Teatro Campesino. El Teatro Campesino. Mm-hmm. Well, what's your weird history? Uh, so all of all of the Richie Valen songs in the movie were performed by Los Lobos. We touched on that earlier. Yeah. I think they're great renditions. They're famous. The 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 La Bamba from this movie also like charted really well. Mm-hmm. I knew Lo, Los Lobos prior to watching this film. Mm-hmm. Luis Valdez tried to make a sequel to this movie. 
Do talk about that. That was going to be about Bob, but nobody in Hollywood wanted to produce it. Hey, there's your opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> they did. Did they talk about like what he wanted? To, was he going to go into the redeeming stuff and like everything else? I don't know. Shit, I didn't know that myself, man. That's where'd you see that? Wow. Uh, that was, I think that was a New York Times story as well. Cause it was kind of like they did an interview with him for the 34th anniversary of the film, 2021. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of asking him questions and, uh, yeah, that's what that's what he brought up about that. You know what I forgot to do though is uh Christian movie guide. Oh let me, please. Did I do that this on the last fun. episode? I don't know. You did. Okay. You yeah, did. let me see. Let me see what they gotta say about La Bamba. <laughs> I don't know if they have anything about La Bamba. No, they don't I have they don't have La Bamba on here. Really? Yeah. You think they would? Yeah, you would you think. think they would. It's not it's not Christian movie guide, but uh, Common Sense Media has given it a three out of five for positive messages, a three out of five for positive role models, a three out of five for violence, a three out of five for sex, a three out of five for language, a three out of five for drinking drugs and smoking and and a one out of five for consumerism. And the, okay. and it, the example of consumerism is that there's a neon Budweiser sign in a bar, bro. Okay. <laughs> language, Spanish language profanity cabron is used and a middle finger gesture. So, you know, mm. parents say age 14 plus for this movie. Kids say age 12 plus. Uh, are you with the kids or the parents? I don't know. I'm with the kids. So that was common sense media. Well, I guess the only other thing I got is this was made for six and a six and a half million dollars, and it grossed over fifty four million dollars, which would be about a hundred twenty million in today's money. Mm. So very good money, very successful. I liked. Uh, there was a funny little thing here about um, the guy who played Buddy Holly in this, which I really liked his his portrayal. Marshall Crenshaw was thirty three years old when he portrayed Buddy Holly in this movie. Gary Busey was also thirty three when he portrayed Buddy Holly in the Buddy Holly story. Yeah, which is interesting because Buddy Holly was like ten years younger than them when he yeah, died. Yeah, and but Crenshaw looked much younger than Busey did, if you ask me. Yeah, Busey has always kind of looked old. Yeah, no. <laughs> The I didn't know this right here. The the role of uh, Richie went to twenty five year old unknown Lou Diamond Phillips, who put on fifteen pounds to get a chubbier face and learn how to sing and play the guitar after he passed the audition. Wow! Phillips married his own Donna Julie Cyphers, who was a production assistant on the movie. Wow! Did he write a song about her? Mm, Julie Cyphers. That's a throwback right there. That's the song. I like her last name, Cyphers. Got anything else? That's all I got here. The rest of the stuff is interesting, but it's like, it's just sort of, you know, it's kind of like, oh, the mom was in the movie and, you know, the the family was on set. You know, Luis Valdez's family was also like minor characters here and there. Um, To me, it was more about like, (laughs) I like... um, so Rosanna DeSoto and Elizabeth Pena, who Pena, who's passed away, was um, she's in a lot of just Latino movies, mm-hmm. you know, coming up in the 90s. She's in a lot and of stuff was, in general. 
Yeah, she was so good, man. She's just she she was so good at playing. You could tell she was a theater actress. Um, I just I, just, I really enjoyed her, and she was a, a character actress. You know, like um, like many actors in this game. Um, yeah, let's, let's yeah, let's go into. You know, she did some Pixar um, movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's, she's everywhere. So sad. She so sad. She passed. Um, but it was nice seeing there was another actor actually I should get his name oh yeah he was in born in east la so the guy i don't know if you remember his character his name is daniel valdez uh-huh he was um he was in uh the china syndrome Zutsu, la bamba he was in born in east la he was the guy in the movie who you remember when bob was on the wagon and they were they were having that little return party for richie and um yep. he was like he was the guy next to him that said like, hey, he's been on the wagon. Do you remember mm-hmm. that guy? I do yeah. remember yeah, that guy. That's, I like that actor. He's been in some some stuff. Not enough stuff, but he's, uh, I like him a lot. Um, he's very authentic. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, not, not too much more on on weird history as far as I think the, the best weird history is what you said. I did not know that he had a, a, a sequel. Yeah. I think it'd be really awesome to tap into that and try to like read a draft and see what, what happened there. Know. Would it, would it have been called La Bamba too? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it should have been called Bobo. <laughs> and then you kind of like confuses people. Yeah. It confuses me. Yeah. What, what did you um, think about Joey pants's bald cap? I felt like it was unnecessary. I don't know. Kind of felt off to me seeing him with a bald cap like that. I thought that was real. I thought that he was always been bald in Sopranos. He wears yeah, a wig hair plug. That's not his real hair. And they take it off too. I think he's always been bald. Are you sure that was a bald cap? You know what? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe you're right. Yeah. I th- think he's always been bald. But he plays the character well. Um, it was he's he's a great addition to the movie. Hmm. Who used to be a theater actor? Yeah, I'm gonna go with um, I'm gonna go with Isai Pena and DeSoto for sure. You could tell that um, his mom yeah. was uh, definitely playing like she was. You just you could just tell like she had that sort of like enunciated projective delivery that we're both used to from the stage. And it blended well for film. There was there were some moments where it was semi on the nose for me, but it also uh, her character type was like very spot on for specific like L.A. Mexican-Americans mm-hmm. that I've run into and met over the years in how they like remember in the line where. They were arguing about the last name later. They were arguing about the last name, Bob and and Richie. And he goes, um, come on, man. Steve was so gung ho American. He'd be proud or he wouldn't care. You remember that? Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that back to the thing that we started of um being more Mexican, the Mexicans more American than the Americans. There's always been this pressure that I've seen even on, on us and other immigrants to just be Americanized and to be, to become like sort of assimilated so far. I mean, bro, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna politely dance around this when it's true. Um, me and my circle of friends had a, uh, a friend who was like, we were like the three musketeers 
you know, and we, we used to rag on each other, you know, like rag on each other's cultures because that's what, that's what you do when you're, <laughs> when you're uh, of another culture. Yeah. And he was uh, Bengali and he didn't speak with an accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us did. You know, we, we, we had that we were blessed. That's another thing too, about the culture differences. They'll also kind of hate you because you speak with, with like a clear English accent mm. and that's um, American accent. Rather. Right. And that's always been sort of a battle too. But our friend here out of nowhere, Sean, he's from the South. He went to TTU in Cookville, just started talking country. <laughs> I mean, like just, just redneck, like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the friendship was dissipating. Like he was like, we, none of us talked to him much anymore, but like it came out of nowhere and it was so on purpose. It felt like a performance and we're like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you doing are this? You that desperate to fit in that you're literally, you're just, you're just changing what you talk is how you talk now. Literally it was cringy, but it was bizarre because he didn't stop and he didn't laugh. And he was like, this is who I am now. And it's like, why, why do you sort of hate yourself so much mm-hmm. that you feel like you have to do that? And that's just, it's unnecessary. But I think that uh, DeSoto played into that rather well because a lot of, um, I've ran into a lot of Latinos that do that. You know, they, they become hell. I ain't going to lie. Some of my own family, um, act like they've never spoken Spanish or like they don't have any Mexican blood. Yeah. It's just the code switching, right? Thank you. Here you go. Yeah. It's you just, know. you talk, you know, you talk to different people in different ways. Yeah. So yeah, I think Soto, I don't know about Luke Diamond cause it was his first role. I think Isai for sure. Um, Pena for sure. And that's about it as far as like, for me, uh, you think pants, you think Joey used to, Pantaleano used to be a theater yeah. actor? I'd say so. I can see him on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Did any, did you see any of what I was talking about with DeSoto? Like, did you, do you feel she had that sort of like projective, you know, I'm on stage? Yeah. I think I got that. Yeah. It's just a vibe, you know, it's hard, it's hard to uh, put your finger on it, but you can kind of tell the way a character's mannerisms are, the way they say certain things. Do you think anyone was too on the nose with it or like you could see right through it? No, I think it like fits. I think it fits the movie. I like that. Like the eat it it moment. That's very, that was very theatrical, but it fits the movie. (laughs) Eat it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Moving on. Moving on. Nostalgia factor. I'll take this yeah, one. You, you need to. Uh, I said, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I just wrote down, watched it with my brother. You know, going back to how we started about this, it was um, the nostalgia factor here. I just always think of my brother um, because it's got like a lot of just highlights on brotherhood. Um, and even that sort of the younger one sort of not guiding, but outshining the older one in a way. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what I've done with my brother, but I feel like I can relate to some of that in, in an odd way. And it's, it's, it's a very touchy subject. It's, it's sensitive to me because of my relationship with my brother, which is, is good, but you know, it's been tough because I think as brothers, you, 
you say things that you don't mean sometimes sure. or you say things that you regret. I appreciate the support. <laughs> um, uh, and I, actually, I'm, I'm glad that you can identify. We can both talk about this for sure. Yeah. Um, and, but at the same time though, going back to like how he was just always there for him, it wasn't like he was necessarily there for him. He was just there with him. He, you know, was like trying in his own fucked up way, but he was trying and he loved his brother and like, and, and just as it looked at I me, mean, cause think about it. So he was 17 when he passed, the brother was a bit older. Um, mm-hmm. Just as things like if, if he truly was on the upswing with getting on the wagging and being there for the, being there for the daughter, and I guess chilling out or, you know, I, w- I wanted to more wanted to know more about his whole art thing. Like that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know if that ever went anywhere for him. Yeah. But um, the um, if that was true, it's it's tragic and sad because he's finally like letting go of any resentment and he's starting to embrace his brother's success. And, you know, he even questions like, really, you want me in Chicago with you? You know, like, you really want me around after everything that happened, you know, and Richie's somewhat more forgiving and, and wants to preserve any sort of like family that he has because it's so important for him. I think Richie was just desperately trying to be some super glue, but he was just Elmer's. Um, yeah. And then the bottle ran out. <laughs> yeah. I think you can see that, Maybe Richie feels guilty in some way for like outshining his brother. I don't know. Yeah. It feels like there's something more there that maybe will play up in the reboot. I don't know. I got a question for you off of that. Sure. If you had seen, can you try to assume what, how you would feel if you had seen this say in, I guess maybe between the ages of like 10 and 15, if you had seen this at least once or twice with any of your brothers, how do you think it would have affected if maybe not changed, but like affected your, has it affected your thought of your relationship with your brothers and any of them based on like the ups and downs of any arguments or fights that you may have had that we sort of touched on earlier? Mm. It's a lot of multiple questions there, but maybe like, how do you think it would have affected you in any way? Had you got to seen it with them? I think, yeah, I think maybe would have, it would have brought out some, some things. I don't know. Cause it's like, I think you and I both do this, but we kind of mark our lives with movies and, and imagine ourselves yep. being the characters and, 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 uh, yes. Think yes. about our lives as, uh, you know, what this character was doing. Oh, I'm just, you know, so I'm trying right. to make it, I'm trying to make that. a name for myself. You know, I'm trying to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to be like, uh, as long as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have come to a discussion. I don't know. Has it ever been a discussion with, with you and your brother? Like where you talk to him about like, did you relate more to Bob when you watched this or did you relate more to Richie? Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's never been discussed, but I, I am so down to ask him. Yeah, it's, I'm going to ask him. Because I, I <laughs> feel, you know, I feel like even this is an aspirational movie. So I feel like most people, even if they are like the older brother, they're going to relate to Richie instead of Bob. But there might mm. be some, you know, fleeting glimpses of Bob where they're like, 
yeah, I do feel like that. I do get jealous when my younger sibling mm. gets opportunities that I didn't get that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a fascinating thing. Cause it goes to like the whole Cain and Abel of it, you know, the, and being your brother's keeper. What's funny is, does that saying, is that saying what one direction with, uh, it's always the older one that's supposed to be the younger brother's keeper or is it, or does it matter? I don't know the genesis of that, but what's, I mean, it's, that's kind of like the, that's like the age old thing, right? Is, is for mm-hmm. most of human history, it was always, you know, the older sibling or, or whatnot takes care of the younger sibling. Mm-hmm. But you and I both know that that's not always the case, depending on, you know, specific circumstances in a family. Sometimes it's the other mm-hmm. way around. Uh, you you know, you like you always hear about like, well, the oldest child has to take care of our parents when they're mm-hmm. like old and frail, you know, you hear stuff like that about mm-hmm. all this, uh, pressure on the oldest to like become the head of the family and stuff. Uh, but we also know that's not true. You know, this, yeah. it's just circumstances vary. So I don't know. I agree. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack there as well. We, we it, it semi would take away from the film here. Uh, so yeah, nostalgia factor. It's, um, I just always think of my brother. I'm just, uh, that's what I started with. I'll stick with it. Um, think of it watching with him because we always watched it together. So it's fun to talk, talk about this one with you because you're like a brother to me and this, thing that we're doing here you know i don't think i've been able to i don't even know if i've discussed this one with marcus mm. i don't know if you've seen it but yeah so what about you if, so I mean, do you feel like what? you're an older brother to me i've always felt like <sighs> twins i feel like yeah i think twin <laughs> i feel more like tw- even though i am older than you i don't really th- i don't i don't think that comes into play much maybe just here and there based on what you haven't seen and what I've seen. You're like, oh my God, you don't remember this significant moment in 1990? I'm like, yeah, I was a year old. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I forget. Yeah, I think twins more so, but yeah, there is, there's the age here and there. No, I, I agree. Um, what, what can you contribute to this part on Nostalgia Factor? What, 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 what do you say on this? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to that, that's like white centric viewpoint, you know, like the day the music died, it was always about Buddy Holly. Um, so I, I just, you know, it took me a long time to put two and two together about Richie Valens and even, well, and, even I- knowing that Richie <sighs> Valens was not just another white dude, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a reverse on that. I didn't know who Buddy Holly was until this movie. So there you go. Thank you. Movie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, shout out to that. I like the Buddy Holly portrayal, though. Good song. Yeah, choice too. I was, I think maybe in high school, I got like a, a Buddy Holly. Do you remember those like legends of the 20th century CDs or something? Yeah. That would always be like a one CD with like, the biggest hits of a, a group or Bing something. Crosby exactly. And yeah. And they kind of yeah. had like uh black and white covers with some like gray yep, detailing. Yep, yep. But yeah, I had the Buddy Holly yep. one of that and was just like super obsessed with Buddy Holly for a while. Really? Yeah. Oh, so what'd you think of the, the minor 
moment in this did you were you surprised to see that did you know that was coming i knew it was coming uh i don't know he kind of came across as like broish to me for some reason and i always <laughs> i always imagine him being like more like midwestern and, and nerdy and so he was like come oh. on man get on the plane flip a coin do you want to be on the plane or not come on bro kind of it kind of came across like that it's like, you want to freeze your ass off on a bus or do you want to be sailing in the sky with me, Buddy Holly? Hey, I, 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 I like it. It kind of had that vibe to it. And maybe that's accurate. I don't know. I didn't know Buddy Holly. I liked, uh, well, I mean, I like how, I mean, even with the guy who played Jackie Wilson, you know, that I like that scene where they were in the, in the, the wings mm-hmm. and they were watching each other, yeah. you know, Buddy and him and then him and Buddy and then Richie watching them, you know, that was like, they were all in a high and that was Brian Setzer, by the way, yep. who was playing, um, what was he playing? Yeah. Brian Setzer. Damn. It's on the, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know. He's like a big guy too. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Cochran. Cochran yeah. yeah. Playing Eddie yeah. Cochran. Good old Brian Setzer and the Brian Setzer orchestra from the, you remember when they had, do you remember in the two thousands when swing had like a, a little comeback moment? Yep. With uh, Mamba number Tons five. Tons of swing and, dancing clubs and groups yeah. coming up. But yeah, Eddie, he plays Eddie yeah. Cochran singing Summertime Blues. Which, yeah, ain't no kid. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I think I first knew yeah. about that song from The Who did a cover of it. But uh, I first knew about it from Ain't No Care for the Song. I knew about it from something else. Maybe it was this movie. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, but any, maybe it's born in East LA. Anywho, uh, so capping off your nostalgia factor. I don't know. I just, you know, I have been known to write music from time to time, play guitar, etc. So yes, you have. It's just, it's just. Uh, I don't know. I always enjoy watching the process unfold, even if it's heavily dramatized. So I just like stuff about music. So it hence your sensitivity to the bandmates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not that that happened to me or something. I don't, you know. No, I respect that though, man. That you do something I, I have never been able to do. Would, I would love to learn to do. You know, play music, play guitar. You have your. I don't know if you want to call him your alter ego. Do you want to send a shout out to uh to the guy on that cover that you did for your brother? Oh, uh, what's his name? The sweater. What's <laughs> he doesn't remember his alter ego. Skip Vanderweil. <laughs> Was that what it yeah. was? Yeah, we should somehow maybe we should put like a, a little image um of you. Yeah, you the, can find you can find the, my music uh <laughs> on all the major services under Sean Hills if you're looking for it. I don't know. <laughs> Sean was number one on the I was number one in like folk music did. on uh That's on the was. Google Play store for like a week. Yes, he was. Yes, I don't know why. Was. But uh, yeah. skip. Wait, was it under Skip or was it was it? That's under Sean Hills. Hills. Yeah. There you go. Shout out to Sean. Go check him out. What's the name of the album? Sean Hills sings Joe Hills. And there you go. That's my older brother, by the way. 
I like the album art. Uh, I remember, I feel like I remember the days that you were doing that upstairs. I heard a lot of, cause I lived in the apartment under Sean and I just heard a lot of boom, boom, you know, <laughs> what's he doing? Moving around furniture <laughs> and uh, moving around a tripod. And I think the, the, the yeah. shot that's on the album, I like took that photo at like 3am. So I don't know. <laughs> that's hilarious but it was good though it was good and you, you brought me up there and you like introduced me to it I was like holy shit he made a character up here. <laughs> it's a good character though um and anywho um wow uh this yeah so where are we where, where are, are we? we closing nostalgia factor i like mm-hmm. music it makes me feel good makes me feel warm and fuzzy well then i'm glad you like this one this film yeah non-white casting uh you you mentioned you know lou diamond phillips earlier i was reading a little bit about the actors and he has he's philip part filipino the other side of his family was like scotch irish and cherokee Mm -hmm. and i feel like just like indigenous people in general is is a big part of the latinx community so i don't know I'm kind of with you. Like, it doesn't bother me. It bothers me less than any time in the 70s and 80s an Italian was cast to play a Latinx part. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And, and it's been so here. The let me let me take this one. Or, take or it away. Take it away. Sl- yeah. So Isai is, I believe, Puerto Rican, but he's playing a Mexican here. There was a time when I was younger, discovering my raza, when that bothered me, but only for a moment. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, going back to what I said on um, on like if we cast a doctor, the character is a, a doctor. We have to get a real fucking doctor. It's like we have no movie there. I'm not going to go by that stuff right sure. there. You know, and there's been a lot of moments where this, you know, even recently with um, being the Ricardos, you know, which I, I actually will side with the the critical side of uh, of the people talking about uh, Javier playing. um Rick uh, Desi Arnaz, um, you know, a Spaniard playing. See, so there was another movie in CBS uh, about Lucy yep. from CBS, a made for TV movie. And Danny Pino played uh, Desi Arnaz, mm-hmm. Danny Pino of Law and Order yep. fame. Uh, and he was great. And he's a, a Latin American uh, actor, you yep. know, uh, whereas I just it was hard. Like I didn't finish the movie. I started it, but I haven't finished it yet. And I had to trust Aaron Sorkin on that one. That was it was like taking a leap right there. I still don't know how I feel about it. I got to finish the movie and then say how I feel about it. But I just on the outside, I wasn't a, I just wasn't a fan of the casting. You just even on a resemblance factor, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I like Javier Bardem. I like him a lot. But like Ricky was a specific Latino and the, the specificity of his Latino is very important because it's Cuban-American. I mean, there's a lot of we're Cuban. It was a lot of history there, too, with like what was going on at the time and the empire that he built with Desi. Lou. Yeah. Well, and even just the, like the culture of Spain versus yep. Latin America. Yep. Very different. Cuba. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, um, we, we have highlighted, I feel like non-white casting was highlighted a lot in this, in this episode, because we talked earlier about uh, West Side Story yep. and Afro-Latinos not being talked about the Asian alert. That's right. The Asian alert. Um, and then Lou Diamond. But going back to the forgiveness, you know, let's if I if, if I want to be like, does he have to be Mexican? No, he didn't have to be. And I think the biggest forgiver of that was Selena. Jennifer Lopez is not Mexican. 
but we allowed it. We let it pass and I'm fine with it. I thought she did a phenomenal job and I'm not going to knock another Latino for playing another type of Latino. Mm. There, there's, I think there are limits though. And there are moments where you have to like call it and say, this isn't going to work. This isn't right. right. But that's the filmmaker's choice. Um, and oh, excuse me, filmmaker's responsibility when to like, I mean, they did it with Eric Stoltz on um, and Michael J. Fox on back to the future. Uh, granted, that's not like a culture casting issue. That's just like a performance issue, but the same radar that they use to measure that performance and what wasn't working is the same that they should use when they, when they do this type of casting. Um, there was another controversy in aliens with, uh, um, the actress who played uh, Vasquez as uh, what's his name as uh, the late great what's our boy's name Jesus who oh my God, he passed Bill, um, Bill, Paxton yeah, Bill Paxton said to uh, to God, I think her name is Gina something let me see name is Jeanette Goldstein. Now, Jeanette Goldstein is actually, she's got Brazilian in her. And, but she was in heavy, like makeup and told to have an accent to do this Latina character that was supposed to be very, I think she was just basically modeled off of a Mexican American from LA, private Vasquez, or again, as Bill Paxton said, Vasquez. And it Um, seems like, it seems like they bronzed her skin a lot, you know, and it's it's kind of brown face ish. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's a bit, it was, that was unnecessary, but like they could have allowed her to play her, play it the way she wanted to play it. They didn't have to make it this stereotype. I think that uh, this movie gets a pass in terms of like not necessarily making tragic mistakes there Um, because when you win them over with the performance, that sort of trumps everything. And most everyone is completely on board with the spectacular performance by Lou Diamond Phillips in his first role. And uh, the family approved Selena's family approved of Jennifer. So I think when you have the blessing of the family, yeah, you know, I think it's a ma- It's also a matter of like, is there representation at all? You know, it's good. Yeah. It could have been just like all the main cast were like white actors playing these parts and then they hired mm-hmm. a couple Latinx actors to be in the background or something. Mm-hmm. They could have done that in 1987. Mm-hmm. If it had a, a white director, maybe they would have done that, but they mm-hmm. didn't. So, you know, there is representation here. And like you said, like the mm-hmm. performance context is important too. you know, like mm-hmm. Louis CK, hopefully no one's casting him in a movie anytime soon. He's Mexican American. Not not a lot of people know that looking at him, but you know, would he would he get a part because he's Mexican American and it's a Mexican character versus someone from Puerto Rico? I don't know. Right. Yeah. Kind of the kind of the context of it matters, you know. Um, there's footage of him speaking Spanish. I I was shocked when I found out he was Mexican American, and I I was like, what? <laughs> you know, a lot of people are. Um, but then when you, when then when you like dive into the history of like exactly like why he Mm -hmm. he was born in Mexico. I think sometimes it's like the family was happened to be there or the family were, you know, Christian missionaries or something like that. I I don't, I don't know the official story with him, but, but it's what I do like about people who you, Oh, what's the girl's name from Queens Gambit? She's a hot star right now. Anya Taylor joy. That's who you're talking about. 
Anya Taylor-Joy is also Latina and a lot of people don't know that. And it, it's nice to see um, there's been moments where she's wanted to like stress and, and, and let people know that she's Latina and she's proud of it. And that's um, I think that takes some set of balls right there. And it's it's admirable because it's how you do that instead of downplaying it. That's important. Yeah. And um, uh Louie, not to to defend the act of this specific thing we're talking sure. about. It was nice to see him uh, speak Spanish in in an interview. Actually, try rather he it wasn't like great, but he he tried. And I was like, okay, well, you know, at least you're like you're not trying to cover that up, you know. So that's kind of right. cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think this is definitely good for non-white casting. We had we had quote quite a bit here, and it's funny how this one specifically had a lot of in and out of what we do with non-white casting, you know, like this had a lot of different sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of dimensions. Um, Thank you. Dimension dimensions. I feel like Dr. Strange. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, All right. Corners. Okay. Corners. What you got, man? I wrote. I well, so I per, I didn't write down a lot because I wanted to freeball it. Um, I wrote down the words "more heart to discuss." Uh, so my corner, my producer's corner on this one, I've decided that I'm going to talk about how I would have done this as a producer, more specifically, instead of like, oh, the challenges mm-hmm. and all that bullshit. I've always said that if I actually got to do this. I mean, with no trace and we sort of got to do this with, um, Aaron, shout out to Aaron Barker on, um, JTFT, just those four things. So check it out on Amazon. The, um, approach when, so we could talk about it together, but I'll talk about it with Diana, Diana Speckler, shout out to her. Another short film I got to do in our, our grad school career. Um, she is a, um, author writer and, she did a little um, short story format uh, performance on the moth story slam. And I got to do a short film of one of those stories. Yeah. And it was a true story too. Thank you. And I contacted her. She replied. <laughs> I, I met her, flew to New York, uh, asked her questions and got to collaborate with my director. Shout out to Chelsea Rowan, Chelsea Rowan on, um, no trace was the name of her film. You know, when I went in that with her, I told her what I'm about to tell you. I want to be as true and as accurate as possible. And when you have an opportunity to speak to the source and get to know them, you get both a bit of a blessing and a curse. You have to explain to them the creative liberties that you're going to take with making the movie. And you have to ask them like, Every single thing that you can to help you tell the story, write the script, collaborate on the script as creators. Mm -hmm. And then and after they understand the creative liberties you're going to take, you have to then not tell some of the story. (laughs) You know, you find moments in what they tell you that are like, you know, either not not to let this apply to either of them, but they're like, oh, that's kind of boring or like that doesn't help drive the narrative, you know, or the, the story itself. And it's 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 very challenging because you don't want to do anything disrespectful. But 
kind of like Valdez on this one. I didn't run. I didn't run versions of the script by Diana. And I don't believe you and I ran them by Aaron. We, um, we discussed it back and forth to each other. They were training us to do notes. I gave you uh, producers notes and we also had to like agree and disagree what, what we, uh, what we wanted to do. And I don't think we came to any real compromises per se, but, um, you know, it was challenging. And, um, my, my producer's corner on this is that I would want to be as faithful to the comic, (laughs) the comic book. I'd want to be as faithful, faithful to the author as possible. And I'd want to be as, uh, flexible with the budget as I could to tell every single piece of the story and then cut later and decide later. So like, it's always easier to remove than to add. So that's how I would approach it. And, um, it was incredible to see what Luis Valdez was able to illustrate here inside of whatever was true or untrue Mm -hmm. about these characters, but just how he wove this story together, you know, shout out to the editor on this who was, uh, cause that's a big one too. I mean, our editor, Sean, um, Michael Thomas, right? That was his name. Michael Thomas. Shout out to Michael. Michael Thomas, man, what a guy, right? (laughs) Takes a lot of, uh, yeah, this was edited by Don Brochu and Sheldon Kahn. Yeah. Wow. Shout out to both yeah, of them. Yeah, by the way, Michael uh, Thomas was know. definitely not just a name we made up using our own middle names and then we edited it ourselves. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know anyone who would do something like that. So it takes a lot of like, you know, flexibility to be able to work with a guy like Michael Thomas. <laughs> 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 all right. All right. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I think that's about it for, uh, for my corners. Um, uh, director's corner, you know, I already touched on a lot of this, uh, just how the, the biopic about a musician is a difficult kind of subgenre to operate in. I feel like we're, we're just conditioned these days to look for those tropes, to look for like a tragic backstory where like, their sibling died or in in the case of this movie, it kind of happens off screen that his father is out of their life and died and it does affect him in a big way. Yeah. Shout out to you, man. We haven't even talked about that. That's a big part of this, you know? Yeah. You know, there's, there's always like little montages of an artist, like becoming famous and like having girls chase them while they're like hit song plays in the background, stuff like that. And then, like I said earlier, like an artist, like turning to drugs or like losing their marriage. This didn't really have a lot of that because he didn't have that long of a life, unfortunately. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's part of why it it felt fresh. It does kind of have his brother Bob as as a devil on his shoulder sometimes, I guess. But uh, yeah, like we said, talking about rebooting, too, I think it's just better to, to find like a slice of a life. Than to try to sum up a you know a person's whole life from cradle to the grave type thing, and I felt like this you know this had like a kind of like a scrappy 
indie movie feel to it, but I think it works. You know, it didn't need to, this didn't need to be like a $50 million budget, you know? Yeah. Funny. You said that I saw something this time around that I'd never saw before when you remember when Bob has his sort of, well, sort of the equivalent of like, what is it? How he messed this term up. Is it a dark night of the soul? Is that sure. What it's called? Yeah. Yeah. You remember he's in the he's like he's looking at the light bulb and he's like, what am I doing? And then he rips up all his drawings oh, and the bulb is like swinging. He rips all yeah. his drawings. Yeah, up. And he's got Onga bunny in the background when he rips the drawings up. I don't know who that bunny is, but when, when he rips the drawings up, the wall uh-huh. is like he's supposed to be in like a basement yeah, sort of in the, basement. In the wall. I think that, that <laughs> the wall is supposed to be like cinder uh-huh. blocks and it 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 looks like cardboard. Oh, you can see it moves. Move. I didn't notice that. <laughs> before so but yeah so but they but small movie did really good at making it i mean they did great with this movie yeah, i think so overall yeah if you're making a, a biopic just be careful just make sure you're like being true to the person's life and you're not uh just hitting these same story beats over and over again that we've seen every time where they have this moment of darkness where they're on drugs and and their wife left them and then at the end they have one great song that that brings their career back or whatever you know we've all seen it before so we should do a uh we should do an app on on a movie that totally mis misrepresented the character they were the who the person actually was i'm there i know there's a handful out there that's like that's not even what so-and-so was really like <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I just can't think of them off the top of my head but we should do one of those too because there's some of those that people are like that. Did you know that that didn't even happen? But then like the movie's actually wonderful. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's some where it's like, oh, that was bad. Yeah. Um, like like that Spielberg's so. Lincoln movie. You know, that wasn't Lincoln at all. I knew him. He was a yeah. dick. Ah, I didn't see that. <laughs> but uh, you'll have to tell me what Lincoln was like. Sean. Uh, that's that's a story for another day. Your fucking old ass. <laughs> Questionable questions. I almost feel like that question I asked you about knowing more Spanish. I almost feel like I could just edit that and put that into questionable questions. I kind of like where it is, yeah. though, but uh, unless you don't have a questionable question. I do have a questionable question. Unless you don't have a QQ. I have a QQ. Would you like me to mm-hmm. pew pew fire away? Uh, <laughs> yes. Do you have a recurring nightmare in which you die and if you do do you think that's the way you're gonna die no not and it's funny i have a recurring daymare what's what's it <laughs> is a daymare just a young horse what's a uh, no uh, not a nightmare a nightmare that happens during the day so are you sleeping daydream. or you're like daymaring daydreaming no no it's it's not even tell not, me about it tell me it's, tell me uh, I'm just always, uh, it's just, I think it, it's very universal. I'm just, uh, you know, like you, you, there's been a handful of death. I've been so slow, sort of loosely around for the last year and a half or so mm-hmm. uh, with uh, uh, someone I knew passed really young. She had kids uh, about a year mm-hmm. ago. But yeah, about a year ago and I didn't know about it, found out about it on social media. And it was it was it was very rattling. And then my friend's uh, brother passed away about three weeks or 
about three or four weeks ago, um, very unexpectedly. Yeah. And, and then just like people in, you know, the public eye that we like see and we lose and, you know, like Chadwick, uh, like that was yeah. big. Um, so it, it's basically, it's, it's pass passing away young before you get to do, before you get to do anything that you would be considered having been done, hmm. you know, like, and then I guess the other part of that is, going away knowing that you're going away kind of like like in nature when the deer is watching the lion eat him yep. you know it's like knowing that you're literally passing right now and you you can't reach for anything you know so the, i would say that that's the closest to to answer your question but i have not had a re- recurring dream per se like richie where um yeah i think i've had i think i've had one recurring dream but it's not like yeah. this it's not like that yeah well and i saw i saw Maybe some you. things that people say that he like predicted his own death and stuff like he knew it was mm-hmm. gonna happen like this so i don't know it's just crazy well you know you know who else predicted their own death and it didn't necessarily happen that way who james t kirk that's tr- said he knew he was always gonna die alone and he didn't because picard was You're there right so mm-hmm. Time can be changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can. We have all, we all have the power. So <sighs> my questionable question was originally framed differently. And I, I, all, I too sort of gave it away earlier, but um, I kind of have a, a different one that I was going to ask, but like I, I decided not to, I sort of changed it mm. around. Uh, well, yeah. So it's sort of like the offshoot of the original. How um, do you think you would have felt if you saw this at um, under 10 years old? I think number one, like a lot of my issues with the movie, I wouldn't have even like realized. Uh, Like, you know, I had no concept of what rape is. So the stuff that would have stuck out to me would have been just like all oh, this really cool guys writing songs and making music and he's getting so popular and famous. And I think I would have really like latched on to Richie's character. I think I would have just been obsessed with the music. I think I would have been spending too much. We only had one, one bathroom in my house when I was around that age. And I, I probably would have spent too much time locked in the bathroom in front of the mirror like strumming an air guitar and, uh, mm. and singing La Bamba. That's probably what would have happened. Mm. I don't know if like the stuff with the brothers and all those, you know, complex relationship dynamics would have hit me that much, but I, I think the music and like Richie seeming cool would have really like hit me. Is that the age you were, you were when you saw this like 10 younger. That's why I said under so 10. What, I mean, Cause we talked a lot about you watching it over the years. Do you remember like what your first impression was that first time? Yeah. I remember Bobo stuck out to me a lot. I didn't understand. I felt this is going to sound a little weird, but I felt like this is our movie. This is our Latin movie. We have a, a, a movie with Latinos. Mm-hmm. There's a white guy in here. What's he doing? Why is he in yeah. here? 
is he like giving us a boost or something? That sounds so weird, but I do remember, but that was before I knew who Joe Pantoliano right. was. Like, I just didn't know, you know, and he's great. Uh, but I do, I, I wasn't put off by it. I was just kind of like wondering what the character was, but I was too young to really understand the dynamics of like what each character's purpose was yeah. too. I just remember the, the sort of the trauma of it all for the characters. Yeah. Well, and that's like another trope that's in a lot of these movies that didn't really come into play here is like the, either the, the manager or the record label taking advantage of the artists in some way, or like taking all their money away from them. Like you didn't really, you didn't really see that. Like he was able to buy his mom, the dream house. He was able to buy a convertible. There was no like moment of conflict or tension where Richie's like, Baba, where's my money? You know, you just told me my song went number one. Where's my fucking money? You know, there's, there's no scene <laughs> like that. So did you, would you, would you sing La Bamba in karaoke? Probably. Yeah. All right. You better start practicing. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. Let me ask you about some layering, uh, directing stuff that I, n- I noticed this time around this ECU's in this film, I thought were pretty awesome. I didn't pay attention to them yep, this time that's around. Extreme close to the lay people at home. Yeah. And the, the layering I'm talking about, there was a scene. Oh yeah. When he gives his mom the dream house, I don't know if you remember the shot, but, but try uh-huh. there's his mom, Richie's right behind yep. her. You got their car and then you got Pateliano Babo in the background. What can you speak to that just as a director from like the framing, composition, the the shot right there? Composition of the shot. Like just your thoughts, your opinions, whatever on that. Like, did you, because I thought that that was, that it it was all, uh, was this wasn't Luis's first movie, was it? No, he didn't do it Mm -hmm. before. So, because I see stuff like that and I'm like, I wonder what Sean thinks of this as a shot, you know, because you see it through a different lens. No pun. I mean, I felt like the, the composition in this movie overall is good. Um, I didn't really like read into that shot in particular. I know the one you're talking about, but I didn't like read into it. Yeah. Uh, but see, but you're going to be thinking about it after but we're now done, right? I'm like, well, is it, is it like, I mean, you can, you can, you can read and you can interpret it as like, uh, Babo's like always looking over their shoulder. Like Babo has like a, a specter, over this family mm-hmm. in some way, but then nothing comes of that. So I think it's just kind of like, I think it's also a question of like, like you said, as a kid, is this, is this white guy taking advantage of them or is he giving them a boost? And like, who's, who, <laughs> it's a you good know, way to who's, translate who's my, taking yeah. advantage of whom? Or is it just mm-hmm. like the guy was kind of decent? It's like, I don't, at this time period, I don't, I don't feel like I completely fault anyone for changing their name to a more like Anglo sounding Mm -hmm. name. You know what I mean? I think if anything, it puts, it puts people's um, attitudes and, and opinions on like on focus on trial to, to kind of show them like, look what you guys do. Look how you guys think you know, think different. And, and I think it's fair to do that. But at the same time, you and I come from the entertainment world and we, I mean, we've spoken about this, I think even with me before, like 
we we do think like what sounds better like it's it's our stage name is what we're talking about and i think that there's a little bit of i give a little bit of that a pass because um you know everything as simple as like jim carrey and james carrey which he's been credited on both to like um you know to to one namers like prince madonna right. you know zendaya you know like i think there's a there's a little bit of like leniency i'll give to that sort of exercise but it is interesting to see how it can be rooted in some sort of discrimination you know yeah even like you know you were talking about lucy and, and desi arnaz earlier even like desi arnaz is kind of a shortened version of his name it still sounds it's got the latinx sound to it but like it's something people have done for a long time. A lot of uh, Jewish entertainers have, have changed their names and taken stage mm-hmm. names for a long time, too. Yeah. So because this is questionable questions, I'm, I'm thinking I want to ask you, what do you think of uh, what do you think of the final sequence as far as from from like a, a film editing point of view to like the the delivery, the you know, the the just the sequence of the song that was playing yep sleepwalk and they slowed the camera uh-huh. down too like when bob is it, it makes it seem as though he ran over to his mom's house cuz he jumps the fence yep. and he knows that like it's funny to see the humanity in him that just sort of arrives and sort of the like curse that he has to the cross that he has to bear with no oh, now you want to be good you're going to pay for that bad behavior earlier yeah with these big things, you know, and now you're, you have to take care of everything. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you wanted this, but your jealousy wasn't worth it, you know? And it's, it's, it's fascinating. But what do you think of the sequence? I did. So, Oh, I guess that's the big question. Sean, did you cry at all? No. Damn. But, but like, but like I said, I like, did you tear up? It, it hit me in the feels, but I didn't cry. And like I said, it was just like overly foreshadowed so much that really I'm just like watching the movie, just waiting. It's like, all right, when's the plane crash? You know, when's the plane crash going to happen? And like wondering, like, well, how much after the plane crash are they going to show? Because they keep talking about this fucking plane crash. And if they had just pulled it back a little bit, I would have, you know, enjoyed the the journey and stopped thinking about the destination but when all when all they do is talk about the destination it's hard not to think about it okay all right um did you um where you are we are picking you are picking a film that makes you cry that i'm gonna watch that's what we're gonna do later some okay. other film but i need to do all we right need to do i that. gotta make um, you cry you gotta make me cry <laughs> it'll be great yeah we're all gonna cry yeah uh okay yeah no but yeah you answered that what you thought of the sequence right yeah i thought it was good overall yeah. i think out mm-hmm. of context uh bob on the bridge yelling richie it does kind of give me a chuckle out of context oh out of context yeah like when, oh. I, when I pulled up okay. a clip earlier and i just caught him like walking up to the the bridge being like Richie mm-hmm. you know it's it's a little yeah. it's a little cheesy out of context but I think it works well, if you're watching the whole movie one must never watch it out of context which is why I think like you said a lot of people bring up that line because it does kind of have a funny feeling to it to say it mm-hmm. you know you like yeah, laugh about it and then you're like oh <laughs> shit 
Well, it's it's also because it's a kind of iconic, you know, you you who else has done that? But for what other Latin character or actor has been able to do to, to have a moment like True. that, you know, besides just playing a waiter or whatnot to have this, you know, it, there's a lot of flex there for these actors to, to really play yeah. their range instead of, of just playing. Yeah, a, role a lot of Italian se. American actors get to yell a name like that. Stella, mm-hmm. Adrian, mm-hmm. but uh, you don't get to sit. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of Latinx characters don't have that moment. Yeah. Any final thoughts or questions? No, I just think like anytime I watch a movie about, creative people making things it kind of inspires me to do the same so i would just say uh go out there and if you have the urge or the need to to make things to create things go out there and do it i love that that did this this did, did that for you <laughs> i love that it did that, that for me did this for me too yes um uh, okay catch us next time on circle Takes. We'll see you then.